a few minutes with you this evening and I've been looking forward to this opportunity and I'm encouraged already. I've got to, a privilege and opportunity prior to us beginning this evening to get to meet several people and I, I have some roots. I, I want to introduce myself because I have uh, some additional thoughts. I have some roots up this way. I, I do live in northwest Alabama and preach in northwest Alabama but my father grew up in a town not too far from here, a little town called Scotts Hill, Tennessee. And that's where a lot of my roots go back to. Um, on my father's side, I still have uh, part of my family uh, who still live there, and they worship with Austin's Chapel Church of Christ there in Scotts Hill. My grandfather was an elder for many, many years there at the Scotts Hill Congregation. And I've got a lot of fond memories of this area, not only getting to go to the farm in the in the summertime and especially during bean picking time and I learned how to break beans there and make sure that you didn't get the strain when you broke the beans and uh, I still even to this day when we sit down with our kids and we break our beans uh, the smell takes my mind back to that little farm in Scotts Hill, Tennessee and my grandfather I'll tell you real quickly my grandfather who was an elder he didn't start playing golf until he had retired and uh, my uncle uh, Johnny Meggs, who was an elder at the Broad Street Congregation in Lexington, Tennessee, used to own a golf pro st uh, store there in Lexington, and tells me, I was too young to really recognize at the time, but my grandfather had one of the best uh, shots with an iron he had ever seen. He could hit an iron just as straight as can be. And growing up, we'd spend a week or two in Scotts Hill, and uh, me as a, a grandchild, and get to play on the farm, but one of the things that my grandfather would do is he'd bring us down here pretty regular, several times a week he'd bring us down to Savannah, Tennessee and we'd play on the Savannah Golf Course and I've got a lot of great memories playing on that golf course that's where I perfected my slice um, but I did. I have a, a lot of great memories. We still travel this way pretty regularly because you take Savannah Highway towards the Shoals. Uh, we, from the Shoals, come up this way pretty regular. As a matter of fact, I saw years ago, I believe it was around 2001 when I first got married, we were living in Killing, Killing Alabama, uh, just on the east side of Florence. And uh, I used to hunt in Scottsdale, Tennessee, deer hunt. And I'd drive Savannah I'd leave. Killing Alabama about 1.30, 2.30 in the morning. It's back when I was a lot younger than I am now. And I would get up pretty early and hit the, that highway coming up this way. Saw the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life about 2.30, 3.30 in the morning. Big old rack standing on the side of the highway just as you enter into Savannah. And I still, still remember that to this day. Uh, I can't promise you that the thought didn't cross my mind that if pointing those headlights at that deer and kind of easing off the highway, but I didn't do it. I wouldn't have done that. I'd have turned the lights off first and done it. No, I'm just kidding. I promise. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I, I tell you, I, I do. I've got a lot of great memories of this area. And folks, for this congregation and your reputation, I commend you and appreciate you for standing for the truth and your desire to be a great shining light in this community and your outreach, it's remarkable. And I thank you for that. To Barry, I love he and his family. Uh, you, you have such a strong asset with Barry in this congregation. I know you know that. And I know that you love him and his family. And I'm so glad he's up here working with you in this community. I love the direction you've been going with this summer series. 
doing church or being church God's way. Learning to worship God's way. Learning to treat people the way that God would want us to treat each other. And that's the essence of our lesson this evening is, is being unified and living in harmony as the body of Christ. What I'd invite you to do, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philemon in the New Testament. And you're going to want to leave that open here. It's going to be several minutes before we get to this book. Because I, I really want to lay some groundwork for our lesson this evening from the book of Philemon. But just leave that open there. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you. I love all the Bible. I love to study the Bible. I absolutely love to study the Bible. I love to study every book. And I love to look at it in the different contexts. And I love to look at it in the different genres and so on. But I'm going to tell you something. There are several books that have really, really, especially recently, had tremendous impacts on my life and my Christian growth. And I'll tell you this, my favorite New Testament book right now is the book of Philemon. And it is in particular because of part of my growing in Christ Jesus and, and really learning to treat people the way that God wants us to treat people. There is so much richness in the book of Philemon that it teaches us. Even in this short little book that Paul wrote. So much richness. Now, before, I told you before we get to the book of Philemon, I need to, let's, let's lay a little bit of foundation work. So if you will, just leave that opening. You can set it to the side. We'll come back to it in just a few minutes. But I want to take your minds down a trail for just a moment and kind of set some concepts and then set a little background to the book of Philemon so that we can really, really get the most we can out of this study. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 133 and verse number 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, in unity. How good and pleasant it is to be unified, to be together in purpose, in truth, in oneness. Don't you know when you think about people and you think about their prayers, you think about the prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17, do you remember when you go back to that prayer as it's been recorded, you think about what it really means to listen to somebody pray. You get to hear the heart of a person when you hear their prayers. When they pour it out and hear John, uh, Jesus, John records Jesus' specific words. The Bible says in John 17 that Jesus, listen to this, and imagine it, lifted His eyes... To heaven. You see him in your mind? He lifted his eyes to heaven and he speaks. He prays to the Father. And a portion of that prayer is found in John 17 and verse number 22 to where he's speaking about his disciples, the believers, the followers, specifically talking even about us today. And he says, here's my desire that they may be... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Do you see him, his eyes? He's looking at the Father. That they may be one just as we are one. Wow! Folks, so many things have affected the church of Christ throughout its history that at times have created dissension, division, have caused it to splinter and even to divide. And for tonight's lesson, understand that when we talk about unity, we understand that for you to truly have unity, you have to be unified in the doctrine of Christ in the faith. We understand that, okay? 
For tonight's lesson, I want us to specifically look at what it is that causes or has the potential to create division, bitterness, whatever it may be, and it's based on superficial things, opinions, things that are not matters of faith. And folks, things have gotten ugly in history. People have divided over the the color of the carpet, the color of the pews. What are they thinking? Who am I to think that my opinion is any better than anybody else's opinion? And to elevate my opinion to the point that it would actually cause splintering and division in the body of Christ? God forbid. And see folks, that's why when you read your New Testament and you read books like 1 Corinthians to where there is division taking place. And Paul pleads with the church and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you. And that you be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined together in the same mind And in the same judgments, I want you to be one, solid, just like Jesus prayed that He and the Father are one. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3 that we are to endeavor. That word endeavor comes from the Greek word spudazo. It's the same word that's found in familiar passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, to where when you read in the King James Version, study to show thyself approved unto God. New King James, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. It's the word spadazzo. And it literally means endeavor. Put forth your very best, all your effort. So when you read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3, you spadazzo, you endeavor, you put forth all effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 in his writings, he would say, Finally, all of you be of the same mind, having compassion for one another. Listen to this. Loving one another as, as brothers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold that concept. Because what we find, whether it's the teachings of Paul concerning relationships in the church, or you even go back to looking at the teachings of Jesus Christ while He was here on earth concerning relationships in the church, you go back to Mark chapter 3 and you remember a familiar passage where Jesus is in a house. And the Bible says, it describes that He's got this multitude surrounding Him. And the Bible says that He looked at those who were seated about Him in a circle because someone had called out and said, Hey Jesus, your mother and brothers, they're outside. And Jesus wasn't demeaning the the purpose of physical family, but he calls attention to what spiritual family is about when he says in Mark chapter 3, beginning of verse 34 and 35, he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. In other words, he's saying we're family because you do the will of God. We're family. Don't forget that. We're family. We're family. And families stick together. That's the very essence and, and within the family, there is an equality. So Jesus would teach in Matthew chapter 23 when He was rebuking those pious religious leaders that thought so highly of themselves and on the outside they looked so religious, but on the inside, well, He even calls them like they're, they're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside they look good, but on the inside they're just full of dead men's bones. 
And, he, and he's teaching his disciples, look, don't, don't, don't be like them. Don't be like those hypocrites. And he says, he, 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 can, he teaches them, he says, don't be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ. And listen to this, and you are all brethren, your family. Alright? No one person being better than another person. And so because we're family and we've been brought together in the, in the body of Christ by the blood of Christ, He says, here's, here's how you be the church. Here's how you function. Here's how you carry out relationships. And my desire is that you be you be one. Now to help us with this concept, what I want us to do is I want to take a, a specific case study. And that's the book of Philemon. And in this case study... What I've found through my, hit, through my study of, of the book of Philemon is, I believe that you find one of the most challenging texts, most challenging circumstances that we read of in the New Testament concerning the church of our Lord and the potential for them to split, for the potential for them to have problems found in the book of Philemon. And the solution is readily there. Now let me give you a little bit of a... A context or a historical background to this good book. If you were to study first century Roman culture, right? First century Roman culture was a unique culture in its own way. They had a specific relationship that was present in that culture, being that of masters and slaves. Now, when I mention the concept of slavery to you, I would venture to say that there's several things that are running through your mind right now. One of those things would be oppression. And, and yes, rightfully so. Many of us, our minds, when we think about slavery or a slave culture, our minds, because of where we are in the history of America, we would go back and we would think of the scar that is upon the history of America and the vile mistreatment of human beings being brought across the sea against their will and put into the holes of boats to where they would be just packed in there and there would be diseases and people would die there and it was horrible treatment. And so many of us, our minds, when we think of slavery, rightfully so, we think we don't like that concept. There's another side to slavery when you study it historically and that slavery was not always an oppressive place or an, oppress, or an oppressive situation. I'll give you a little bit of Bible context or Bible example to go with that. You go back and you study the book of Exodus. You remember in the book of Exodus the law concerning the Hebrew slave? And if the slave serves his master for the extended period that he was deemed to do so, at the end of that period he is free to go. But if that slave says, I love my master, and, and, and I want to be continually, I want to commit my life to my master, I don't want to leave. You remember what the master was, was commanded to do? He would take the slave to the doorpost. And there he would take a nail, and he would drive that nail through that slave's ear, pinning that that slave, the, the nail would go through the slave's ear and he would be pinned to that doorpost. And in essence, what he's saying is, my life is committed to this house. My life is committed to this family. My life is committed to my master. We sing a song uh, called, Pierce My Ear, O Lord My God. And it's drawing from that text. And so there is an essence in which there were people who were deemed slaves and yet in culture. And some of them said, we appreciate where we're at. We, 
we don't feel oppressed. We love the people we work for. And so there was that regard. But across the board, I want you to understand this concept about slavery. I'm talking about first century Roman culture. A slave was viewed as property. Not as a person, as property. And so, even in the first century Roman culture where this, was, this book was written, you find some historians say that within Rome itself, half the population were slaves. Half the population were in a situation where they did not voluntarily, most of them would never have voluntarily said, hey, I want to be in this class. How do you become a slave in the first century if you're redeemed as property? Well, there's a few different ways. You could have, if you and I were living in the first century, it's possible that uh, your country was overtaken by another country and when you were taken off, you were deemed as a slave of that country. And we have biblical examples with the Israelites going through that. It's possible that if you were living in the first century to become a slave, uh, piracy, pirates would take people captive and deem them as their slaves. It may be that you had owed a very large debt to another person and you could not repay it. And so the court says, hey, you're going to become this person's slave until you do pay this debt off. It's possible that you volunteered yourself to this person until you paid that debt off. But the, by far the most common way, first century, that a person becomes a slave is they're born into it. Not by choice, but simply by being born into that particular class or that particular group, they are looked at as being different. And so what you find when you study the book of Philemon is you have an example within the church. The church has been established. Jew and Gentile are now part of the body of Christ. You've got different dynamics within the body of Christ. And now you've got these congregations that are meeting together. And within those particular congregations, you have a wide spectrum of diversity. And when you talk about master and slave in society, you're talking about far ends of the opposite parts of that spectrum. And so now you've got a challenge within the first century church, this infant church. Hey, y'all are coming together. And guess what? You're to be one in Christ Jesus, no matter your differences, that society deems you different. In Christ Jesus, you're one. So what happens, what happens when that concept or that principle is challenged? A study from the book of Philemon. And what I'm going to do over the next few minutes as we read this letter is I'm going to stop along the way and make a few comments about the text. And uh, I, I believe you're going to find a deep, deep richness within God's inspired Word here within this great book that's entitled Philemon. Verse number 1 of Philemon 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now, you can already stop and you can understand based on probably your, most likely your knowledge of when it says that he is a prisoner there of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, when he writes the book of Philemon, one of the four prison epistles, he is literally a prisoner. I find that interesting about Paul because here's a man who traveled 10, 11, 12, 13,000 miles establishing congregations. And no doubt Satan's trying to stop what's going on. And when Paul is imprisoned, you would think Satan may be thinking in his mind, hey, I've got him, at least I can shut his mouth just for a little while, and that doesn't happen. What does Paul do? Send some letters and let's encourage some congregations. And hey, you know what, I'm going to write a letter to, 
to Philemon because there's a situation we need to, to hit head on. We need to take care of this. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our... And I'm reading from the New King James Version. The word there is beloved. Uh, if, you, if you go back and you look even at the, the King James Version, it says dearly beloved. Here it says beloved and in italics is friend. The translator tried to help us with understanding who Philemon is. What's interesting about that phrase, about this man Philemon, and how Paul addresses him, is that at the root of that word beloved is the word agape. Whoa! Folks, if you don't take anything else from this lesson, get this. Numerous times throughout this short book of Philemon, over and over and over, Paul is going to use either the word or a form of the word agape over and over and over to get a concept across. What is so special about agape love? Unconditional. Whoa, 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 whoa. Philemon, you're the kind of guy that sees people and loves people not based on presupposition, not based on conditions. You love people unconditional. See where it's going? So to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, and our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. You find something else great about this man. The church in his particular area is meeting in his house. No doubt he's a generous person. And so they're meeting there. Listen to verse number 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Boy, isn't that something special when you, maybe you receive a note or a text or an email and somebody says, hey, I just want you to know I I prayed about you today. I I have people that come up to me regularly. My congregation, area congregations, and, and they'll say, I just want you to know, Chris, I pray for you daily. I can't tell you how great that means to me. It means something when somebody says... You know what? I, I just want you to know I love you so much I'm praying for you. I, I, I want you to succeed. I want you to succeed in your spiritual walk. And here, Paul says, Philemon, here's what I want you to know. I, make, I talk about you in my prayers all the time. Boy, if you're Philemon here for just a moment, picture yourself, but get, get, try and get into the mind of Philemon. If you're Philemon right now, in my mind, I'm thinking... You know what, Paul, he's got me right there in his hand as he's talking to me. He's complimenting me. And I want to tell you something, what he does over the next couple verses, it's awesome. It's amazing. Because here he's going to spend the next couple verses and his purpose in doing so is to build Philemon up and say, man, you're such a great Christian. Look at verse number 5. I hear of your agape... I hear of your unconditional love, the way you love other people, and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and to all... Whoa, whoa, did you get that? Circle it. All the saints. All those who have been called out. Saints is the noun form of the word that comes from the idea of being sanctified, being set apart. The saints. Every Christian here, you're a saint in Christ Jesus. You are sanctified. You've been called out. And Paul says, hey Philemon, let me tell you, you're such a great example to the body of Christ, to all the saints. Everybody looks to you for your great faith. Everybody looks to you for the way that you love folks. The the relationships that you have. You are such a pillar. You're such a great example. You can only imagine if you're Philemon. If I'm Philemon, I know this. I'm sitting there going, I feel pretty good right now. The Apostle Paul, he's patting me on the back. 
And you get to verse number 7. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your agape love because the hearts of, of the saints have been refreshed by you. Now pause. I know there's another word. I got that. But just pause for just a moment. You get that Paul's taking Philemon and he's saying, Hey, Philemon, just everybody looks up to you. You're a great Christian example. And I just call the attention to how people look to your faith. And, and by the way, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. They're built up by you. What was that next word? Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that every word within our Scriptures was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's there for purpose. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Brother, now folks, that right there is a link that you're going to find come up and join, bring Philemon's mind back here in just a few moments, back to how Paul's built him up and said, hey, let me call attention to the relationship that we have, Philemon. We're brothers in Christ Jesus. And see, when you understand this concept of family and, and it ties to unity in the body of Christ, this idea of being brethren, of being brothers in Christ Jesus, of being brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, it's an elevated principle. Because when you go out in this community and you're walking down the streets, you go to some of the stores here in, in town or you go over to Walmart, wherever you may be, and you're walking through there. Maybe you're at the grocery store and you're walking down the aisle and, and you're putting your, your, your lettuce and your tomatoes in your, in your shopping cart and you look up and there's old brother such and such or sister such and such. That's not just some other person. See, in your mind, there's already a special link that you have with this person. Why? Not only are they a member of this congregation, they may not, whoever it may be, they may not be a member of this congregation. But the fact is, they are members of the body of Christ. And because of that, there's a drawing thing about it. Why? Because it's the blood that ties us together. And the fellowship in the blood of Christ. And you see, when we take this principle of how Paul is building up Philemon and he's exhorting Philemon. What if we had this same attitude in the body of Christ all the time? That in everything I do and the way that I function and how I see people and how I interact with people is, I want you to succeed. You think some division could have been avoided? In times past, you better believe it. What if the way that I see people is, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about the, the kind of hymns that I like to sing or the kind of devotional songs that I like to sing. You know, you know what the mindset is when it comes to something just even like that is music and how we worship? You know what it is? You know something, the older I get, the more and more I really appreciate that those older hymns. You know what those older hymns do to me, do for me? They take my mind back to some special times growing up in the body of Christ. I young people, you need to remember. See, here's the attitude. I want what's better for my brethren. You need to remember, hey, these older folks who have lived and they've spent time and gen just long time spending worshiping God, man, those older songs, they love them. And you know what? Some of us who are growing older, you know what we got to remember? we got to remember what it was like to be young. And to appreciate some of those devotional songs. And when we get that mindset and we begin to see each other, we begin instead of exalting my opinion and exalting my wants, you know what we get? 
and get the attitude of Christ Jesus. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The type of person who's willing to wash another person's feet. Instead of looking out for my own interest to esteem others better than oneself. And see here, you. what happened? What if everything we did was for the necessary edification of the church? How would we criticize people? Criticism's okay, folks, when it's done with the right attitude. If Barry gives me some type of positive criticism, you know what he's doing? He's saying, hey, hey, Chris, if you, man, you're doing a great job. If you thought about doing this or going about it this way or trying it this way, I believe you'd be even that much better. There's a difference in that attitude and somebody coming along and trying to cut your legs out from underneath you. So when we enter into this idea of, hey, I want to esteem people. I want to exhort Philemon. I, I love how you're succeeding. You're a brother. Keep reading. Verse number 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. By the way, circle that word brother in the last part if you make some notations in the latter part of verse number 7. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Let me give you a little what's going on. You've got a man, Philemon, who apparently he is a master. He is a slave owner. You have another man in this letter. His name mentioned. His name is Onesimus. Apparently he's a slave and he's run away from Philemon. At some point he meets Paul. Onesimus meets Paul. And apparently Paul is able to convert this runaway slave to Jesus Christ. It changes. It doesn't change necessarily his status in society. But it changes his eternity when he becomes a Christian, where he's headed. And here's a man who is on that other end of the spectrum from where Philemon is. Onesimus Philemon. Any of y'all ever been to Cane Ridge, Kentucky? Anybody should raise your hand if you've ever been to Cane Ridge, Kentucky. All right, I see some folks been to Cane Ridge. Um, we've got a mission point there just outside of Cane Ridge in Frenchburg. And when we go visit there, one of the things we try and do is go to the old meeting place of the Cane Ridge Church. Uh, the history, just briefly, is that there was a great revival years and years ago that took place on that Cane Ridge. Some 30,000 people came and they would sit on the lawn and preachers were invited in and they would, they would stand. A preacher would stand over here and he would preach from uh, a top of a tree trunk and, and over here where a stump and where uh, a preacher would be over here and he'd be preaching to this group and all this preaching was going on. It was a great revival. The Cane Ridge Revival took place. Well, there's a meeting house that's there. It's an old log building. Uh, it's the largest one-room log building in the United States. It's not just massive, but it is a big inside building. It's one room. Imagine walking into this building, and when you walk in, the pews are kind of in a horseshoe shape, and up front is where the podium is. It's a nice pulpit area. And, and then there's an upstairs. There's a balcony that surrounds, similar fashion, kind of a horseshoe shape up above. When the church worshiped there, do you know who sat downstairs? You know who sat upstairs? When the church entered into this building, 
the masters sat downstairs and the slaves upstairs. And the body of Christ. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for all what? We're one in Christ Jesus. And folks, when this challenge comes before the church, you, you, you go back a hundred... Do you think it's present today? Here you've got a situation where Philemon, there's potential that this doesn't just affect, what could happen doesn't just affect you and your household, it could affect the rest of the congregation that's meeting in your house. What's the temptation? Send Onesimus back, he comes back, and Philemon says, you're my slave, you're my property, how dare you run away? Rebukes him and puts him to work. That's the temptation. But what Paul is saying is, Something's changed about this guy. His relationship to you. Keep reading verse number. Let's skip over to verse number 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer as a... Well, get this. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother. Circle it. And draw a line from verse 16 to verse number 7. There's the common ground. There's the link. Philemon, you and I were brothers from Paul's perspective. Philemon, now this man who was your slave, now he's coming back to you and something's changed about him. What's changed? Now he is your brother. I love the Apostle Paul because he's able to see people with transparent eyes. See beyond their status. See beyond their financial status. See beyond their race. And what he's able to see is the blood of Jesus Christ. How do we function in the church? How do we love one another unconditionally? How do we press forward with purpose and with passion and with unity and with harmony in the body of Christ? Is when we can see other people the way Paul saw people and we can see the blood of Christ. We got differences, yes. Differences of race. Differences of maybe countries we're from. Differences of likes. Differences of dislikes. Differences of occupation. So many different things that could divide us and yet what we're saying is when we come together as the body of Christ there's something that ties us there's a link there's unity it's family and the idea of being in Christ Jesus supersedes it triumphs over everything else and when we do that we'll we'll sacrifice for one another will give, will help. Matter of fact, real quickly, you catch verse 17, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Same way. Same, that link, that relationship, we're, we're unified, we're in the body. Verse 18, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. What does Paul have? He knew what it was like to abound and he knew what it was like to be without. But he says, I'm willing to step out, put everything on the table, and if this man has wronged you in any way, I'll take care of it. Why? Because we're one. And the same relationship I have with you, Philemon, I have with him. And because of that, that link, now that link exists between you, Master, 
slave, brother. Jesus Christ prayed that they may be one as we are one. God bless us in this study.